All right, everybody, welcome to Center Ice, and very excited to be joined alongside, for the first time in a while, Matt is here with me recording today. First of all, happy new decade to everyone. It was some kind of hockey decade. We have our top 10 moments of the decade that we will discuss later, but let's get into what's happening right now. So last night, the LA Kings and Toronto Maple Leafs made a huge trade where the Leafs got Jack Campbell, a goaltender who can actually hold a candle to Frederick Anderson, <laughs> and Kyle Clifford, who has won two Stanley Cups and is an experienced guy. They gave up Trevor Moore, who's a promising, young, hard-working forward, and they also gave up a third-round pick via Columbus in the 2020 draft and a conditional third round pick in 2021. So before we get into the details of this deal, because Jack Campbell is, is a very good piece, and I think Kyle Clifford is a guy that the Maple Leafs need because he brings that physicality, leadership, and he's won two Stanley Cups. I got to say that this is not enough. From my perspective, this Leafs team is as great offensively as any team in the league. And when they have the puck in the offensive zone, they are one of the best. Defensively, they are an absolute train wreck. They have no idea how to defend in their own zone. And I don't think the coaches, Sheldon Keefe, etc., are teaching them how to play that style. I think... Sheldon Keith is under a lot of pressure to get this team going and try and figure out what works for them. And I think he's really focused a little too much on offense and possession, whereas defense and goaltending have really struggled. Absolutely. And obviously I don't get to watch as many Leaf games as I'd like to, but since I've been here in Toronto, I tuned into the Panthers game on Monday night and Toronto got up to a quick 3-1 lead in the second period. And I think that game almost sums up their season in in one game because they find themselves down one nothing in the first period, but they're playing very well. Their offense is firing; they just haven't beat Bobrovsky. And then in the second period, they explode. They're up three to one, and in I think in under a minute, it was three three. And all that can really be pinned on penalty kills and defense. It's just atrocious defense and. I make the comparison just from an Ottawa perspective to the mid-decades before 2017 team for Ottawa, a team that's quite good offensively and has got a solid starting goaltender. But as soon as you take those away and you have to defend a lead, it's just brutal. And it's you can't get it done, and that's what's holding the Maple Leafs back. And the I don't mean to be a whipping boy on Cody Ceci like the rest of the media, but... It's no. hard not to. Yeah. You look at particularly the Hoffman goal the other night. Hoffman just, he, he went right around Cody Cece. Yeah. Cece was not trying to block out Hoffman from that shot. And Hoffman, even though it was from an odd angle, I'd say most talented players in the league would score given that opportunity. And Cody Cece has got to block those opportunities. He can't let guys get easy goals like that. And the other thing is, like, I think the other problem with the Leafs right now is when a team gets going in their end against them, they really struggle to defend against a strong down-low cycle. And the players, they lose their coverage, they leave guys wide open. And if you want to talk about how good Freddie Anderson is, let me tell you something. As someone that's from Toronto and has followed the Leafs since I was a kid... This guy is unbelievably good. The amount of 10-bell saves he makes every single time he's in the net for the Leafs, you would not believe. And yeah, there are better goalies than Freddie Anderson, but he's pretty darn good. And he continues to carry this team, but he needs some help. And Jack Campbell is a guy who's had a 917 save percentage over the last few years. Remember, once upon a time, he was a first-round pick. Very talented, good contract. I think he will help the Leafs, but I'm telling you, 
if I'm the Leafs, I have to be kind of a semi-seller at this trade deadline because you have some great pieces, and nobody is going to deny that. But this puzzle is not working. You need some better defensive players. You need to establish some kind of new system. And if they continue to believe that acquiring Kyle Clifford and Jack Campbell and playing the same way is going to yield better results, they're absolutely crazy. Like, I can't believe that Kyle Dubas sat on his hands for so long with the worst backup goalie in the league, a guy who should be in the AHL. Like, it's mind-boggling. And going back to the summer, before we wrap up on the Leafs, he made getting Cody Cece a priority over getting a backup goalie. Like, come on, right? Exactly. And from an Ottawa perspective, that trade's worked out fairly well for us. Zeistev has frustrated us a bit at times, but I think comparing Zeistev to Cece, I still say Nikita Zeistev is a better defender. Now, Cody Cece... I try to be fair to him, but I think Cody CC is setting a pretty low bar. Oh, yeah. He's, and, he's not good. And the thing that frustrates me most about Kyle Dubas not getting a backup goaltender, it's not like there aren't options out there. Oh, there are. But he chose to spend money where he didn't need to spend money, and then you're capped out, and then it's even harder to acquire a backup goalie. He made some mistakes in the summer, and I don't think... He gets enough criticism for that, and everybody's like, "Oh, he's this—he's the GM, smart, brilliant guy." And I—he's definitely smart. He's definitely brilliant. But if you're asking me for my perspective, he's made a lot of mistakes as GM of the Maple Leafs. He's tried to turn this team into a all offense, all skill team across the minors and in the pros, and that's fine. But you need to teach a two-way system, and I think that's where he's really failed the Maple Leafs and you know this goes back even when Babcock was coached the Maple Leafs struggled to play a consistent defensive system this is nothing new so it's put up or shut up time for the Leafs I won't be shocked if they don't make the playoffs I'll tell you that right now even with Jack Campbell because the style you're playing is just all offense, no defense. It doesn't work for anyone. And even if they do, they're going out first round. Yeah, they're going to go out first round. Teams like Boston, and even though Boston's had their struggles this year, I'd still say Boston in a seven-game series would easily beat the oh, Maple yeah. Leafs. Yeah. Tampa would beat the Maple Leafs. I think so, yeah. I think even Florida could make an argument. Now, that would be much closer. As you you mentioned before we started recording, the numbers are almost identical. Yeah. But you got to give the edge to a guy like Coach Q and Bob Rosky, who are both very good and both are very smart, know the game very well. And Then you have Alex Barkov exactly. playing against your top players. Aaron Ekblad has turned into a fabulous two-way defenseman. Anton Strahlman. You know, you have the offense with guys like Jonathan Huberto, Evgeny Dadanov, and like you said, Coach Q behind the bench, knowing how important getting his team to that next level of defenses. And if Bobrovsky can be on, he hasn't been this season, although lately he's been a lot better. This is a guy who can really turn your season around. And you know what? From an outsider's perspective, I know Leafs Nation may not want to hear this, but I think missing the playoffs may not be a bad thing for the Leafs because missing the playoffs will mean you have to take a step back and you have to look at your team and look at yourself in the mirror because... This team is not good enough to win a Stanley Cup. There's certainly a good core there that could go win a Stanley Cup. But there needs to be some changes. You and I have been saying this for a couple years now. And I think missing the playoffs would be a real wake-up call for the entire organization. And I think long-term it would really help them. Yeah, that's a good point. So enough about the Leafs. Let's move on to some other topics. First of all, we've got our top 10 moments of the decade. That's coming up as we finish the show. I want to briefly touch on a few things that we haven't talked about. How about the coaching carousel? The amount of coaches who have been hired and fired this season is something we haven't really seen before. Well, we've seen it before, but not like this. And I think the difference this year is that owners and GMs aren't patient anymore, I think. And now, don't get me wrong, there certainly are some coaches like Mike Babcock that certainly had 
a lot of time to get results and didn't do anything. But at the same time, there's a decent amount of coaches that I think were still figuring things out where they were. And you can't always pin it on the coaches. I've learned that over the years is that sometimes you have to look at the players in the locker room as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, just surprising how many guys have been let go, especially I think the biggest surprise was probably Gerard Gallant. I mean, you talk about the guy who led a hardworking Vegas Golden Knights team to a Stanley Cup appearance in his first season as coach. And you know what? New Jersey. That's nothing to the owner all of a sudden. New Jersey got a great pickup in Gerard Gallant. I believe it was, wasn't it? Uh, I don't think he's he's working he right now. I think he's uh, biding his time, um, deciding if he's going oh, to coach again. Was. No, that's okay. Well, we'll edit that out. They have uh, Nazardine in charge. That's now. it. That's yeah. it. I knew it was someone. And then I think the other surprise, because he's been there for so long, is Pete DeBoer. And more surprising than the fact that he was just dismissed by the Sharks. The fact that the Knights picked him up <laughs> the day. You're talking about two rivals, and then they're like, okay, this is our new coach, so he's had to come in and try and right this Golden Knights ship, and I think he's done a fairly decent job. They played a tough game the other day against Tampa, but to me, they're they're playing better. They're playing like a team, trying to prove something. Um, and... I don't know. We'll we'll see how they do. I was just on um, with my friend Devin and Andy from Utah talking all things Vegas Golden Knights, and I said, listen, I still think this is a playoff team. They may need to make some adjustments and play hard and establish some kind of new system, but I still think this team is good enough to make the playoffs and be dangerous following that. I said, having said that, they still need to get a better backup goalie, and they need some defense. Their defense just simply isn't good enough. You can't rely on guys like Theodore Schmidt with not a lot of help. No, and I think Marc-Andre Fleury certainly masks a lot of the problems the Golden Knights have on defense because Marc-Andre Fleury is just timeless wonder at this point. Yeah. And I think for Vegas to really make another serious run at the cut, you're right, they need to upgrade that defense, and there certainly are some options available coming up at the deadline. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, if I'm if I'm a Vegas Golden Knights fan, what I'm expecting the second half of the season is for this team to push hard to try and establish a new identity under Pete DeBoer, an identity that had been really lost over the last few years from this hardworking team with guys like Pierre-Edward Belmar, uh, guys like David Perron, you know, this team was a pain in the butt to play against. But now you have a lot of skill. You have a lot of young players. You have guys with big contracts, you know, playing with that team. Players were just kind of playing for themselves. They were a great locker room. It was a really unique situation. And that's a very difficult situation to replicate. I mean, I, I think you have to remember that that was one of the most unbelievable seasons in professional sports history. Absolutely. I'd put it up there with, I don't know if you follow the Premier League at all, Matt, but Leicester City back in 2015 when they went on to shock the soccer world and win the Premier League championship, nobody expected that. They were a team that were, they were playing for themselves. They believed in themselves. And ever since that's happened, it's been hard to replicate because there's expectations on them now. Players want to get paid. Coaches want to get paid. It's a very, very tough situation to replicate. And we might just see it in Seattle in a couple of years. There's a real possibility of that happening. But I really don't think we'll see anything like what happened with Vegas in 2018 ever again. Because yeah. it was just so unbelievable. And I remember this was back when we were starting the podcast. Mm-hmm. The whole season, you and I and Vernon for a little while, we were all thinking, okay, this is a bit... At least until the new year, I'd say. You and I were all, and Vernon were all thinking, this is kind of a fad. It's very good for Vegas. We love seeing them succeed early. But it can't last. And then they just kept going and yeah. going and going. And, they, and made... they, they fed off the doubters, the haters, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they had a chip on their shoulder. And I think, like you said, it's, it's a different feeling when you go into another season and you're coming off really a terrible 
loss against the San Jose Sharks on a blown call. It wasn't all the calls fault. You still gave up a bunch of you power can't give play up that goals. many power play goals. And Not acceptable, even on an extended penalty kill. But yeah, I mean, it's a different team, right? You've got you've got some great pieces, but William Carlson hasn't scored nearly as many goals as he did in that first year. You know, Mark Stone. You traded a lot to get him, and now he's signed to a big contract extension. You brought in a guy like Paul Stastny. You've extended March or so. You've extended um, Nate Schmidt. You brought in Pacioretty. This is a completely different team than that team in their first year. But I still think there's a lot of hope for this team. I think they just need to get back to playing hard, be hard to play against, and look for a top four defenseman at the trade deadline. The real question is where are they going to end up in that Pacific division because that that division is absolutely nuts. I remember in our original Pacific preview, you and I, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen with the Pacific. We figured, okay, it's going to be a pretty easy division to win this year. And I'd say most hockey analysts would have agreed with you and I, but you just look at the Pacific division. The Canucks are currently leading that division and then Edmonton's right behind them. The Coyotes are behind them. The Golden Knights are in fourth in division. And, of course, the Flames, they've lost a couple in a row. They were in, I believe they were second or first before the All-Star break. They've dropped down to fifth in the division, only off of a couple-game losing streak. So if you're Vegas or any team in this division fighting for a playoff spot, you can't go on a long losing streak because that could mean the end of your season. Yeah, absolutely. Five points between the five top teams in the division. It is an absolute race, and it's going to be fun. Let's quickly wrap up on the Pacific Division and the Vegas Golden Knights, and let's make our predictions on how this is going to play out. And it's tough because it's hard to read a lot of these teams. You've got the Oilers who have Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and they're kind of a wild card. They can be really good. They can also be not so good. The Canucks have been hot lately. 7-2-1 7-2-1 in their last but 10. But they've lost a couple in a row. And they're on top of the division. And then you've got the Coyotes, who are now dealing with a long-term, well, potentially long-term injury to Darcy Kemper, which hurts a lot. I mean, you're talking about the guy who had the best save percentage in the league. He's been unbelievable for them since coming to Arizona. And then the Golden Knights, who have been inconsistent. I mean, their last 10, 3-6-1 although I think they've been much better under Pete DeBoer. And another team I can't quite figure out in the Calgary Flames. Like, again, they're either at a high level or I'm just really not impressed with them. I'd say you could say that to all the teams in the Pacific this year, at least the ones fighting for the playoff spots. So I know this is tough, but I want us to pick our top three in the division. We think how this is going to play out the rest of the way. Hmm. I really can't doubt Vegas. I think... As you said, they've been playing better. I think Peter DeBoer can really get them, if he can get them playing on a next level. And I, I'm going to put the Flurry factor in here as well, because I think Flurry is the best goaltender in the Pacific, at least consistency. Yeah. You know what you're going to get from him night in and night out. Yeah. So I'm going to say Vegas, plus they have Mark Stone, so Mark Stone is my guy. Yeah. So I'm going to say Vegas number one. I think Edmonton, with you can't doubt Leon Dreisaitl, Connor, Connor McDavid. Mike Smith, I think that Edmonton will do just enough to get second, but I think Vancouver's going to end up in third. I think they're, they're still a very young team, and I think they could make some mistakes at dropping down to fourth or even fifth. But if they can find a way to be semi-consistent, I think third in the Pacific is not unreasonable for them. And I think Calgary and Arizona, four or five, you can mix, you can switch either one, I think. You can make a reasonable argument for that. But those are my top three. What about you? I'm going to go with the Oilers winning the division, but not by much. And in second place, I'll have Vegas. And then in third place, I think Vancouver does make it this year. I think they've been much better lately. Um, Really after having a great start to the season, then a real drop-off. But I've noticed a big improvement in their game lately. And... I'm excited to see what this team can do come playoff time because they're a hard-working team. They're hard to play against. They've got guys like Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser. They've got great goaltending with Demko and Markstrom. So this is exciting for a Vancouver fan base who has waited a long time. Almost 10 years. For this team to return. 
and I I think the future is bright in Vancouver, but I don't know if I see the Coyotes and the Flames making it because as much as I like what they have, I mean, you look at the lack of impact after you paid a premium for a rental with Taylor Hall. That's what that has to be really upsetting if you're a Coyotes fan. Now, at the time, I think a lot of Coyotes fans were very excited, and you really blame them for Taylor Hall. But right away, I look at the what they had to give up for Taylor Hall. I think it was a premium for, as you said, a rental. I think that if they don't resign Taylor Hall, they will certainly and don't make the playoffs. The Coyotes are certainly going to look foolish. And the other thing is that this Arizona team is still building a fan base. They don't have a whole lot of fans. They have. You know, the hardcore fans who go to the arena and follow the team and have been following since, like, the Shane Doan days and the Keith Kachuk days. But those fans are few and far between. And to me, they're still building up that fan base. And missing the playoffs again is really going to hurt them. It's not the end of the world because I don't know how many te- how many people expected the Coyotes to make the playoffs this year. I thought... You know, if they would make it, it would be probably in a wild card, if that. So it's not the end of the world. But if you look at what they paid to get Taylor Hall in a rental, you traded like a premium prospect, a uh, draft pick, and more to get him. So I'm just really surprised that he just hasn't been very impressive. And we've talked about Taylor Hall as a guy who can make a difference. He's been an MVP. He's one of the best players in the league. I don't know if that's true anymore. I've noticed a big drop-off in his game as he approaches the age of 30. And if you look at his stats with the Arizona Coyotes this year, he's played 20 games and he's had 18 points and he's a minus three. Before that in New Jersey... These stats aren't that different. 30 games played, 25 points, minus 11. Taylor Hall, since that Hart Trophy season, has not been the same player. He's not as explosive. And I think he has a lot to prove if he wants to get a big contract this upcoming summer. I absolutely agree because GMs, and I say it's going to be common as we head into the 2020s, I think a lot of GMs are looking at some of these big contracts and I'll, I'll just name the Eric Carlson one as, and the Drew Doughty ones as prime examples where at the time when you make these big extensions, yeah, it makes sense, but when a guy has been injured or a guy hasn't been consistent, these contracts really eat up a lot of cap on your team and particularly when you're competing for the cup, Look at a team like the Maple Leafs. They're a team that needs stuff. They need defenders. They need a backup goaltender, but the Caps are in them. And then look at a team like the Sharks, who, in my opinion, if they weren't caught up against the Caps at the start of the season, they might have been able to make some moves and turn the season around. But because they were so against the Cap with some of their big contracts they've signed some of their veterans to, they weren't going to be able to make any moves. So now they're stuck with that core the rest of the season. And I think some GMs over the offseason are certainly going to look at the numbers of Taylor Hall, especially if these numbers continue to trend downward and the Coyotes miss the playoffs. I don't think Taylor Hall is going to get nearly as much as he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you look at what they traded away. Nick Berkeley, a top prospect. Nate Schar, defenseman Kevin Ball, who's a good young defenseman. A conditional first-round pick and a conditional third-round pick. That's a lot, especially for a guy who really was at the top of the trade market. And you look at the results, they just haven't been that good. And again, we, we talked about it just briefly. This is... Taylor Hall really needs to show more if he wants a huge contract. And I think he will get that huge contract maybe regardless, which I don't know if I agree with it, but I understand it because you look at what he's achieved throughout his career and how talented he is. Yeah, he deserves a contract like that. But at the same time, it's 
frustrating for the Coyotes who are seeing this guy kind of coast along in a contract year who they just paid a premium to get as a rental and seemingly headed towards free agency and a big payday and not really focusing too much on now. I mean, that's pro sports. Sometimes you get players in situations like that. And Taylor Hall, like I said, he needs to show more. He needs to do more if this Coyotes team wants to make playoffs. And I think he needs to show more that he's committed to his team because just to wrap up on it, if you're a GM and you're saying, okay, well, this whole whole last season he was coasting along because he thinks he's going to get a big payday anyways, doesn't care about the team he's on right now, well, that doesn't look good on your on you. It doesn't look good at all. Now, I, you and I don't know Taylor Hall in the locker room, so this is just a guess. But based on what we're seeing, he just doesn't seem to care as much as he could. Yeah, and that may have something to do with making a big change from you know New Jersey to Arizona. That's a big change for someone to make. And I, Taylor Hall's never been a rental player in his career. This is kind of a first time for him. Getting to know a new place like Arizona, a new system, a, a system that preaches defense over offense. Of course, you had Darcy Kemper with the big injury. But again, we'll see what happens the rest of the way. But if he's not better, I don't know if this team is making the playoffs. So let's move on. What else do we want to talk about before we finish off with our top 10 moments of the decade, Matt? Well, I think we got to touch on the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, man. Yes, we do. You and I were so high on the Buffalo Sabres. You, you were. I was. I have my doubts. Hey, I had some doubts too. But <laughs> Remember what I said? They did the exact same thing last year and then but they you know, fell apart but like you know a trainer. Things actually look decent this year. That's and, true. And maybe it's because as a long-suffering Ottawa fan, I get what Buffalo Lodians are going through. And the thing is, it's frustrating because you look at the pieces they have. And on paper, this team could be very good. And the way the divisions lined up this year, the Sabres really could be good. But things have just not gone to plan at all for the Buffalo Sabres this year. And then, yeah, you just pulled up the injury report. I was about to bring it up myself, but this isn't helping at all either. Let's just list off these players here. Rossmith Dahlin, your number one overall pick, is out with an upper body injury. Still only day-to-day, but when you're in a tough pl- division and trying to crawl yourself back into the playoffs, this is not when you want to have a guy like Rossmith Dahlin out. And then you got Johan Larson, lower body, he's out day-to-day. Curtis Lazar is out day-to-day. Kyle Ocposo is out week-to-week. Not good at all. Big, big loss here is Victor Olofsson. Out week to week. He's such a key part of this Buffalo Sabres team. And the list really goes on. It's such a big list. And it's really tough. I really feel for Sabres fans. Because it's been over 10 years since this team has made the playoffs. And every year we seem to think, we seem to say this may, be fin- this may finally be the year. Right? This may finally be the year where they turn it around. And let's be honest, at the start of the season, they were so hot, and everything was going so well. And even when I started cooling down, I know I was a little skeptical. You were fully skeptical. (laughs) (laughs) But even then, I thought, you know, they, they did so well to start the season, they could pull a Boston Bruins and just coast the rest of the way. And they could they could probably squeak into the playoffs, and Sabres fans would be thrilled. But injuries and inconsistencies—it's just been so rough for the Sabres this season. Yeah, and you talked about the injury report, and that's huge. There's no team that can do well with that many injuries, unless you're talking about a really good team like the Boston Bruins or maybe the Colorado Avalanche, St. Louis Blues. Those are teams that have the depth to to go through those injuries and still succeed. But if you just look at the Sabres team right now and you look at what they've done this season, Jack Eichel has 66 points. The next best player is Sam Reinhardt with 44. 
And the list continues. Olafsson, 35. Dahlin, 30. Risto only has 24. Marcus Johansson, a big free agent signing, 22. Maybe the story of the year. Jeff Skinner, Mr. $9 million, has only 11 goals this year and 19 points. Connor Sheary, 16 points. This just isn't good enough. Well, looking at the $9 million man, by the, <laughs> by just off the top of my head, he's getting paid just under $1 million per goal. If he if he's 6 at 11 for the rest of the season, that could be a real possibility. $9 million for 11 goals. That's I mean, brutal. it's just... You you can't field this roster next year. If I'm a Sabres fan or someone in the front office, I have to say to myself, listen, what we've got isn't working. We need to change things up. Maybe you trade a guy like Sam Reinhart. I think you keep Olafson, you keep Dalian. I don't think you should be adverse to trading Ristolainen. See what you can get for Marcus Johansson at the trade deadline. Throw Jeff Skinner out there. Like, you have to do something because this team is not in a good cap situation and Jack Eichel is carrying them like nobody else in the league but yet like you said the failures continue right now you have just over three million in cap space but then you have upcoming UFAs like Connor Sherry Jimmy VC, Johan Larson, Scott Wilson, Zach Bogosian. So you need to fill all those spots with that amount of salary. And I don't know. I mean, there's no easy answers for this Sabres rebuild because they have tried. They have made trades. They've drafted players. It's just not working. I think there's a big disconnect between the general manager's office and the owner's office. And I think Jason Botterill probably has to deal with a lot of stuff he would rather not deal with that he didn't have to deal with in Pittsburgh. But again, I mean, I don't know if there's a more frustrating team in the NHL over the last 10 years than the Buffalo Sabres. They're the Buffalo Bills of hockey. But you know what? (laughs) I'll give the Bills credit. At least they were able to build a solid defensive line, and they have a pretty solid offensive line. I don't want to get too much into football, but they've been able to start building something in Buffalo on the football field, and ownership and management seem to be on the same page there, and they seem to be wanting to build something, where you don't get that with the Sabres. You don't get it at all. No, it just feels like a lot of rushed moves, a lot of signings that don't have to be made. Look at the big Overpayments. <laughs> like, it's kind of window dressing, right? Yeah. And then... The season starts, and they get off to these blazing hot starts, and then they just completely fall apart like a train wreck. It's every season. The last time this Sabres team was good is when they had the white, red, and black jerseys with Danny Briere and Jason Palm. And I Bill. would say 06, 07, when the Suns made the Stanley Cup. That was a solid Sabres team. Yeah. And even then you can make an argument that Ryan Miller was carrying that team. I, you may have to go back to 05, 06. It's been a long that, time. That was yeah. the last real good Sabres <laughs> team. So I don't know. I, there's no easy answers for we the Sabres. We for but, Sabres fans. We and really we do. do. And I've been to Sabres games. They have a great fan base. Don't knock the Sabres fans. They have supported this team throughout everything. And they continue to support this team. But at some point, they're going to want results. And they deserve better results. So I think, yeah, I think you have to listen at the trade deadline and see what you can get for Bogosian, see what you can get for Skinner, see what you can get for Johansson. I think Carter Hutton, throw his name out there. He has not been a good goalie in Buffalo. You've got Uka Pekalukanen coming up, but you don't know when he's going to be ready. You hope next year, but goalies are, are a funny That's- thing, right? Sometimes they're ready when they're young, when they're like phenoms like, like a Carey Price. But yeah, sometimes most of them, the vast majority of them, hit their prime around age 26, 27. So let's let's wrap on Buffalo and get to anything else we need to talk about before we finish with our top 10 moments of the decade. Well, I don't have anything else to talk about, at least not before the trade deadline. I have some stuff that I'll, I'll bring up after the deadline, but 
let's wrap it up with something I think you and I have been looking forward to for a couple weeks now. Very, very tough. It was such a good decade of hockey. And you and I, we haven't really shared our lists. We have a, we have a bit of an idea of what each of us have put up. But for the most part, it's going to be a bit of a surprise. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And would you like to start things off with your number 10, Mac? Sure. So my number 10, and a lot went into this. I will say that I had a lot of trouble coming up with a top 10 because there's so many moments that were just amazing. But I have to go with Braden Holpe's stick save on Alex Tuck in the 2018 Stanley Cup in Game 2. I could not... This was probably the best kind of series-defining moment since Marc-Andre Fleury's pad stack against the Red Wings. This really did turn the momentum in the Washington Capitals' favor. You could see the body language. They probably should have scored, but he read the play perfectly. He got his paddle down on the ice in a desperate attempt. He controlled the rebound, no goal, and, of course, they went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. What a great save. And don't forget, before that save, all the momentum was really on Vegas' side. There were real talks of Vegas could win the Stanley Cup this year. And Braden Holby just shut that all down with the paddle. So I'll get on to my number 10. And not as climactic, but for me, it was still very memorable. I, I told you this was the peak of the event. 2014 Winter Classic, Leafs, Red Wings in the big house going to the shootout. That was quite something. And as I said, I think that was the peak of the event. There was so much buildup where I remembered in the 2013 lockout, that game got delayed. And then you get to 2014. It was really a 50-50 split between Red Wings and Leafs fans. Record attendance for a hockey game. I don't think it's been beat. No, that's right. And the snow falling as well. Just It made for a perfect afternoon of hockey. It was a really good game. And it just sticks out in my mind as one of the most memorable games of the decade. That's that's a great one. And my number nine, before I go back to you, speaking of the Red Wings, Thomas Tatar scored and saluted his father who passed away the previous day as he scored against the LA Kings. He pointed to the sky. I thought that was so cool. There are rarely these kind of emotional moments like that in hockey. And Thomas Tatar, Mr. 20 Goals, has gone on to have a great career since then as well. Yeah, some moments are bigger than hockey, and that's definitely one of them. Reminds me of a, I know you're a Blue Jays guy, so you may remember, John McDonald, 2010, Father's Day home run. Oh, that was after great. After his father. Yes. That's what it reminds me of. It's just such an emotionally powerful moment. And you can really feel what Thomas Tatar is feeling. But even now when you watch the video, you can feel the jubilation, the sadness, all these emotions going through them. So my number nine, and for you Hawks fans, you may be surprised how low I have it on the list, but there's just, it's more of a recency thing. I, I gotta put Kane scores in overtime, game six, against the Philadelphia Flyers. And I, I, I added a note here, it kickstarts a Hawks dynasty in the first half of the decade. Yeah. And as I said, if it's a recency thing. If that goal had happened two years ago, it'd probably be number one, or top three, at least. But because 2010 feels like so long ago now, <laughs> 10 years it ago. It is, it is long ago. And the thing is, is that that goal, I remember at the time, no one knew it was in by Kane. That was yeah, an incredible that, thing. that was really strange, but also awesome. He was celebrating, he was going nuts, and even the commentators had no idea it was in until they saw that the puck has crossed the line and he was celebrating. It was such a good And then shot. It, was, it was like delayed reaction. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like Even that. Even Doc Emmerich was confused. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Hawks are... I'd have to look up the call again, but I think it was, the Hawks are celebrating. Yeah, the no Hawks one, are saying it was in. It's in, Patrick. No one, no one else in my building seems to have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> just a weird, but just incredible moment. A Stanley Cup winning goal... Is always going to be memorable. All right, speaking of Mr. Patrick Kane, at number eight, I've got his spinorama goal against the Dallas Stars. March 16th, 2013. 
Now, a little background on this. Yes, it was 7-1 Chicago, and this was in the middle of their dynasty run of Stanley Cups, but the move he made where he just turnstiled the defender and then releases this backhand spinorama in it the same motion and puts it top corner was just absolutely It's ridiculous. a move you see in a video game, and even then I don't think a video game could pull it off. It's just, yeah. it shows the skill yeah. of Patrick Kane. So my number eight, once again, my moments tend to be, I think, a little more subdued, but to me they stick out. And and more for what has happened after. 20, yeah, October 2011. I think it was the 10th. I have to look again. But anyways, that's not important. Montreal versus Winnipeg. Bell MTS Center, whatever it is now. And Nick Antropoff scores a goal. And Winnipeg is back. That's what, that's what the big moment is for me. And I think with Vegas coming back and just taking the league by storm, for, maybe a little foreshadowing there. Yeah. But... But remember, 2011-2012, the Raptors moved to Winnipeg. That was so big for the league. And because it was nine years ago now, I think people forget how big of a deal that was. That Winnipeg, a team that got robbed of their franchise in the 90s, a diehard hockey city, gets their franchise back. And it may have, the Jets may have lost that game, but everything that's come after that is what makes this moment so special. Especially if you or a supporter of the Winnipeg Jets. So what do you have at number seven, Mac? At number seven, I have the Vegas Golden Knights making it to the Stanley Cup in their first season. I've talked about this before. This was one of the most unbelievable seasons in professional sports. And yeah, they didn't win. But the whole season and the moments involved, especially the Vegas shootings that brought the team together more than a game, you know, comes up when you think about the Vegas Golden Knights and the Vegas community and how they just rallied off of that support and became this tight-knit community, which still exists today with great hockey fans. You know, 10,000 people showing up to a practice. It was an unbelievable season, and I think they would say they would love to have won, won the Stanley Cup, but they're still pretty happy with it. The, Jersey sales, the fan base you created in such a short period of time really is something to behold. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. My number seven, it's going to hurt me here, but I have to put Kunin scores in double overtime in game seven of the 2017 Eastern Conference Final against the Senators. Because as much as that goal hurts me, and it hurts me a lot, that game was so incredible. And for the Penguins to score there, and move on and have a chance to go back-to-back, which of course they did, was amazing. And the thing that also sticks out for me is not only did Pittsburgh win the Stanley Cup back-to-back, look at what happened to Ottawa after that goal. Everything has just gone downhill for Ottawa. And when I mean everything, I mean everything. And things seem to be looking up for Ottawa, of course, but after Kunitz scored that double overtime goal, just incredible. An incredible moment. So what's your number six, Mac? I think I see what you got right now. At number six, I have Bobby Ryan's amazing goal against Nashville. I mean, this this was just an unbelievable move from Bobby Ryan. And this was Bobby Ryan in the prime of his career before really being derailed by injuries. I mean, he steps around one guy and goes between the other, stick handles, and with one hand finishes off the play. To me, this is one of the most spectacular goals I've ever seen. Going around Hall, future Hall of Famer Shea Weber and David Legwand as well, making him look like a pylon. And then, again, making Pekka Rene look terrible. It just goes to show you how promising his career was at one point and really how unfortunate it is that injuries have just derailed him. And, of course, this happened in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Just a great goal from Bobby Ryan. So my number six, Alex Martinez wins the Stanley Cup. I don't think I need to say a whole lot for that. But, of course, double overtime, home ice. The Kings win it in 2014. And it's just an incredible moment. I don't need to explain a whole lot. As I said earlier with the Kane goal, it's a Stanley Cup winning goal. It's going to end up on the list. Yeah, absolutely. All right. 
at my number five, speaking of the Ottawa Senators, Eric Carlson's unbelievable lob pass to Mike Hoffman in the 2017 playoffs against Boston. This was one of those things that you had to see to believe. I mean, he just decides to throw this perfect lob pass. It's as if it was it required no effort whatsoever. He made it look so easy, and then he springs Hoffman, and Hoffman scores. Just an unbelievable play. Absolutely, and it really kickstarted a run for the Senators there. And it's a shame what happened after that season because those two had some kind of chemistry. And my number five here, I think it's less a moment, more just in general. And if you had to pinpoint a date, April 6, 2015, the Sens lose, thus eliminating them from the playoffs. But the thing that the reason why this is significant is 2015 was the year where no Canadian teams win the playoffs. And I think you can group in a whole bunch of Canadian team moments into this one moment. The Canucks losing in 2011. The Leafs 4-1 to versus Boston. The Sens double OT versus Pittsburgh. Montreal losing Carey Price in the conference finals. Just, I think it's defining of the decade the struggles of Canadian teams. Vancouver was the only team from Canada to make the Stanley Cup final this year, and they didn't win it mm-hmm. this decade. And Winnipeg and Ottawa were the next closest in the conference finals. So as much as it's not really a moment, but I think... It's a storyline, and it encompasses a whole bunch of moments that has to, as much as I hate to put it on my list, it's such a, it was such a big thing from the decade. And there are so many memorable moments from it. Even, it, even though as a Canadian fan, it hurts. I had to put it on here. Fair enough. And I, th- I think that's, that's a good point. Despite the lack of success of Canadian teams, there were still so many great Canadian players that made an impact on the game with American teams. And that, that goes to my next moment. At number four, the Pittsburgh Penguins went back-to-back Stanley Cup, something that is so hard to do. And it's the hardest championship to win in sports. To go back-to-back, was absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely, and it's it's not something we're going to see very often nowadays. So for that, for the Pittsburgh Penguins to do, I think cement Sidney Crosby's already strong legacy, and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame very quickly after oh, yeah. he retires. So my number four, once again, uh, and I don't want to be a downer, but 2013, I think because it happened so long ago, people forget the lockout. I think... It, it's another thing that defined the decade. I'm glad that we're not going to have another lockout next season. Yeah. But I think it was it really changed the game of hockey. If you look at the 2011 to 2012 season, then you go after the lockout in the shortened season, just the style of hockey and the way hockey is played has changed so much since that lockout. And I think, of course, there's a lot more resentment towards the owners again yeah. because of it. And... I'd love to put more hockey moments on here, but to me, I just remember that lockout and being so frustrated over it and being oh, so too. happy when me hockey too. was back. It's funny when we kind of take hockey for granted because we love it so much and it's on the majority of the year, but I'll tell you as a fan and as someone who has played and followed since I was a kid, when hockey's over and all that's on is baseball and basketball and other sport, it's just not the same. No. It, you don't, it's not as emotional, it, you're not as attached to it, and you can make do with it, and there are plenty of other things you can do in the hockey offseason, but it's amazing how much we miss it, and that lockout year was terrible for fans and players. Mm. All right, what do you have, Mac? At number three, I have the NHL and the hockey world paying tribute to the lost, humble Broncos. To me, this was... Uh, one of the most amazing things and just shows how tight-knit the hockey world and hockey community is. People putting their sticks out in support of the Broncos. People like Haley Wickenheiser, players uh, donating time, money, trying to help this humble community. And It was such a sad moment because you and I have experienced riding on team buses and we've been in those situations and Things can go wrong, and you don't know if they will, and that's a risk that you take when you go on those team buses or road trips. 
things bad things happen all the time it's just the reality of the world but to see all these people lost in the crash some survived not very many was really a, a defining moment of the decade for mm -hmm. me and yeah. and the way like i said the way hockey, hockey supported mm -hmm. the community and the players and still is and stands continues to is is amazing all right my number three is i've got a save on my list too jordan bennington second period against the boston Bruins. oh man this year. That's that cemented one. the win you and i were watching that game together when Jordan Barrington made that save, I think both you and I said it was over. It's over. He's going. The yeah. Blues are going to win the he cup. He was a tonight. man on a mission. Yeah. And I, I wrote here the Blues singing glory in twenty nineteen, and it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Such an incredible run, capped off by that save, and really memorable moment. All right. So my number two, Alex Ovechkin winning his first Stanley Cup. Not only the fact that he won for the first time after really winning pretty much everything else in his career and capping off what is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer career, but just the way he played, how dominant he was, and obviously the party that followed, <laughs> that was sleeping with the cup. And hey, Brett Hall was something else this summer, and he didn't even play for the Blues last year, but... No comparison to what Ovechkin no, did no. in the fountains and drinking from the cup and sleeping with He'd the He'd been cup. waiting for 15 he years. He was never letting that thing no. go. <laughs> Until right. he had to, right? All right, my number two, you already had it on your list, so we'll just touch again on it very briefly. The Golden Knights 2018. Just absolutely incredible. No one expected it. And I also wrote it to heal the city to go back on the humble Broncos. Remember that? The Knights went on their run just after that. Just horrific shooting at the Las Vegas Music Festival. And it healed the city. They really did. And Vegas, that whole season was just incredible. And the only thing that could have capped it off was the cup. But my number one is, well, you're number two. And kind of. But my number one is Ovechkin's 400th goal. And mostly because it was a decade of Ovechkin. A, as you... You and I were chatting. It really was a decade of Kane, Crosby, and Ovechkin. I think oh, man. Ovechkin was yep. the best player, at least goal-scoring-wise, in this decade. Everyone was wondering, when is he going to finally win it? Is he ever going to win the yeah. And is he going to catch Wayne Gretzky's goal record? Yep. He's passed Mark Messier a few days ago. Yep. There's a very real chance he could do it. Oh, absolutely, because you just look at the kind of shape he's in. And he can still shoot it with the best of them in the league. Again, an Alex Ovechkin shot from the point on the power play. You can predict it's coming, but you can't stop it. And I think he has really settled into this pure goal scorer. That's what he is now. If a play is not there to shoot, he'll pass. But he is a pure goal scorer now. Points are really an afterthought for him earlier in his career he was racking up the points but now he's focused on being a pure goal scorer and breaking that record and at number one for me Sidney Crosby's golden goal in Vancouver 2010 a moment that I'll never forget it brought the country together his reaction being hugged by Scott Niedermeyer most of the Canadian most it, it of was unbelievable was watching. it was just unbelievable and it's so incredible. It capped off an incredible Winter Olympics by Canada. And I think it also shows the dominance of Hockey Canada, for the most part, this decade. Because Canada is still the number one nation in hockey. And it was just so much fun. All right. So that wraps up this show. It was great to have Matt here with me. We'll try and do this again. Maybe I'll head to Ottawa at some point and we'll record at the same room. But we hope you enjoyed this. Our next show, as scheduled, we'll talk about all the moves to the trade deadline following the trade deadline. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.